and we are live. Welcome back. And today, right now, we welcome the Andy Nixon that he's going to talk to you about protecting your ideas. You know, who better than him that he's a trademark and copyright uh, attorney and coming all the way from sunny California. So welcome. Ready to take the stage? All right, Mirta, thank you. Okay, well, let's see. Let me, aha, okay. I hope everybody can see what uh, see my screen here. I don't know if I can give me some feedback. I'll just assume everybody can see it. So uh, I wanna thank everybody uh, for being here. I understand it's kind of late in the day, so I'm gonna try to keep the energy level up as best I can. And maybe I should have titled this slightly different. It's understanding the value of intellectual property, but maybe I should have called it understand because this is what I really want you uh, as artists, business owners, aspiring business owners, entrepreneurs to understand, really understand the value of that property as opposed to just your physical stuff, your real estate, the things that you really understand as property ownership, but some of these more intangibles. Um, let's see. So quickly about me, this is what I do. I've been doing it for 20 years, so I'll just skip over all of that and get right into the meat of it. So what is IP? What is intellectual property? It's just a term that refers to a lot of different things. Words you've probably heard of before, things like copyrights, uh, trademarks, uh, publicity rights I'm throwing in there, but you've probably heard of patents. That's probably a little more common. And then these things called trade secrets. I'm going to talk about just a few of these, uh, a few of these categories that you're going to see more often, because I want you to understand these are things you're going to run into most often, most likely, um, and I really want you to understand the value of those. Now, why do you care? This should be intuitive. Brand awareness, loyalty, right? Apple, the Macintosh logo, those are things, those you know, just breed loyalty. Not the only thing out there that does that. Um, gives you competitive edge, right? Intellectual properties and tangibles can give you quite the competitive edge. Even if you're looking at, say, maybe a PC, four or 500 bucks, a laptop, uh, you're looking at that Apple laptop, it's a thousand, uh, you know, nonetheless, given that brand loyalty, that competitive edge, you might pay a higher price just because of that. New markets right uh grow or grow your own market share recently my kiddos had a chocolate bunny for easter but it was a cocoa pebbles branded chocolate easter bunny right cocoa pebbles cereal not typically what i've seen before for easter bunnies chocolate bunnies but there you go you know leveraging that brand that trademark in that case into something slightly askew or slightly different than what they normally do and then IP can be super valuable to you because it, you know, you might sell it, you might be able to license it to others, and you may be able to leverage it uh, in certain ways. So what is the value of it really? Um, well, we're going to talk about a few areas, and I'll illustrate um, just why uh, or just how the value might be recognized so you can really understand that value. Now, copyright, let's talk about that first. I'm going to talk about trademarks as well, but copyright is probably the category that most of you will see, uh, probably most of you will see or experience most often. Um, whether you're an artist, uh, whether you're, you have nothing to do with art, uh, just a business owner, you're going to run into it because copyright covers a lot of things. It covers what you see here, literary works, which is just a fancy way of saying things that are written, uh, scripts and screenplays and photography, we're talking about sculpture, we're talking about fine art, applied art, uh, just any kind of content, real content, is likely to be uh, covered by copyright. 
a few things on here like architectural works I don't even have on here. It's just a broad, broad category. So it covers a lot of different things. So let's look at a few things so you can really kind of understand how it might be valuable. This right here, screenshot of a three-day blinds, if you've heard of that company, their website. Now, what are we doing here? Years ago, three-day blinds spent a ton of money redoing their entire marketing approach. Redesigned their website, tens of thousands of dollars. And you think, okay, well, that's kind of a means to an end. Website, web content, that's not their business. However, somebody else thought this is pretty popular. we got a competitor here, and you can see that little banner across the bottom. Doesn't seem like a whole heck of a lot but that company nabbed it. Now, that wasn't the worst thing that it did. What they did was they basically scraped the entire web pay or website period and copied it. And you can see right here, I highlighted basically the changes in just a small snippet of content. So again, this is website content, not the business of three-day blinds, but you can see nonetheless, there's a lot of value wrapped up uh, in just that web content because competitors plinked it, okay? They took that, and that's something that they, they were able to leverage uh, in order to obtain, you know, basically get compensated for it, right? There was value in something that they procured. Why would, you know, other people be able to free ride on it? So think about your own content. Even if it's not core to your business, it still may have some value, and you want to be able to recognize that. Photographers, okay? Photographers often sell their, the very thing they do, their, their photos, or they license them. But there may be value in related spaces, right? So in this case, um, for whatever reason, years ago, there was a lot of uh, use of uh, marine life photography. Um, and a lot of these things get adapted for graphic art, you know, appear on T-shirts, posters, things like that. In this case, you know, uh, there's a group of photographers out there that love the sea life. Uh, and their stuff was getting used quite a bit without permission, <laughs> unfortunately, regrettably. Um, but there are other businesses, in this case, you know, T-shirt manufacturers who saw tons of value. And, you know, what we had was maybe what we call a force license, something that these photographers probably didn't necessarily think they'd be able to do, be able to expand in new markets. But in this case, hey, you know, someone kind of dragged them into a new market, uh, even if they didn't want to be. All right, now imagine this. So now we're talking about graphic art and, and artists here. So a lot of you have heard of Shepard Ferry. Uh, this watch company here thought, you know what? We've got our own brand. We can sell our watches, but I tell you what, let's try to do a collaboration with Obey, the brand, who's you know tied up with Shepard Ferry. That might give us some added value, sell some extra watches. And they did exactly that. You can see right here that it's got, you know, this particular watch has the Obey logo on the face, it's got it on the packaging, and Shepard Ferry was hired to create the overall packaging. Here's the issue. Shepard Ferry was inspired by a band that many of you might know called Motorhead. And regrettably, this watch, the model was called the Motorhead. So he took that inspiration and decided to adapt Motorhead's War Pig logo and put it on the box for this watch. Unfortunately, without permission. So Motorhead itself, or rather the company that owned its licensing rights, said, hey, you know, there's value in that and we should be compensated for it. So, you know, that's another area where, you know, you might not think someone may be inspired by you, inspired by what you do. But if they get a little too inspired, you may want to think about whether you should be compensated appropriately because that is your content. And we looked above, copyright is a valuable property right.
It's no different than somebody snagging your pencil. <laughs> okay. What's this? I'm not, I'm not going to keep it a mystery. This is a belt buckle. Okay. I guess we'll call this sculpture. Maybe this is graphic art, but it is a belt buckle. And yet another company said, you know what? There's a lot of value in this of a company that we've probably all heard of. It's right there dead center. Problem is this company didn't pay for that value and just, well, adopted and used it. Now, frankly, uh, oddly enough, I'll tell a quick story. The company actually told me that they designed this independently, which probably is going to cause a few giggles because while I can see if there's some common elements, you might have that happen. That's probably just, I mean, in this particular case, no way, no how uh, was that belt buckle created independently. All right, back to graphic art. So if you're a graphic artist, uh, you know, sometimes you may sell your art for what it is. Sometimes you may sell it for another use. In this case, a lot of these uh, piece, individual pieces of artwork get grabbed by t-shirt companies or just more apparel companies. In this case, Billabong uh, bought this artwork off a graphic artist. And this particular t-shirt saw a lot of success. As a matter of fact, another company, one that we refer to often as the Magic, Magic Kingdom or Magical Kingdom, Magic Kingdom, right? Thought it would be great to be inspired by it and come out with a very similar shirt um, and leverage additional uh, value off of their own shirt being Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, and if you look really closely, we have another image right there, which is an image of Captain Jack Sparrow, uh, which really, truly is an image of the real human, Johnny Depp. So we have additional property in there. I mentioned publicity rights earlier. The right to use your your name or your likeness that's what we have here uh so disney's adding all kinds of value to this particular t-shirt except the fact that they did not see the value if you will in the original piece of artwork um and <laughs> kind of created their own without permission another just like the uh the last uh, example i gave you oddly enough uh a response i got was uh, that i received from disney was that this was created independently and was not in any way similar to the original whatsoever. So I guess the reasonable minds may be a little different on that one. Not sure. Okay. And then real quick here, photography. And I want to talk about rights of publicity. You yourself, humans, okay, have a right in most states to control commercial exploitation of your own, your image, your photograph, your likeness, your signature, maybe even your voice things like that. And here we've got an interesting situation where we've got a model who had a, a photograph taken of her for use in, I think, Halloween costume advertising. Uh, but that photo was adapted to vector art by somebody halfway across the globe, which in turn was downloaded and used by somebody very locally here for an advertisement, not knowing uh, that this was a piece of artwork depicting an actual real human being. Um, and that real human being did not give permission to have her likeness used, right? So a valuable right that a lot of people don't know. So, you know, if you get, if you appear in certain, uh, certain commercial uses appear of you, yourself, your, uh, uh, so, you know, whether it's your photo, your likeness, again, your voice signature, something like that, there may be a right that you, a property right that you should be compensated for. All right, switching subjects. The other intellectual property category that you often see and you experience every single day of your life, multiple times per day, trademarks. Not content like we talked about. Now we're talking about things that are identifiers, right? You, This will be intuitive. 
words, logos, uh, names, colors, et cetera. The things that when you see them, experience them, you have an immediate reaction, immediate association with some kind of product or service. Um, and we'll go, uh, this will make sense, right? Right here, you got three examples. You got a word, you've got a logo, and you've got a slogan. All three of those, you think of a, an athletic brand, right? Or a shoe wear company, you know, you have that immediate association. But think about some of these other alternative things, colors, right? Some of you probably recognize the Louboutin sole, the Boise State football field, you know, the green and yellow for John Deere. Colors themselves may, or how about UPS is brown, right? Things may create an immediate association with the brand. So don't just think in terms of what's my, you know, business name or how do I, you know, what's, do I have a slogan? Do I have just my logo? If you have other sorts of very distinct identifiers, you might want to think about whether there's a property right there. How about this product configuration? You know, you might have you know, a lot of you recognize uh, what's on the left immediately as the PlayStation controller. Uh, in the middle there, that is a that's a little bit difficult, but what we see there is a store configuration of all things. Right, that is uh, a luggage store. It looks it's arranged kind of like the inside of a jetliner. Um, and then the right, you're probably saying, uh, Andy, I don't see anything distinctive about pasta, you know, uh, corkscrew, whatever, fusilli, I guess. Well, no, you're right. But what if I tell you that this is a corn chip, right? That's pretty distinctive for a corn chip. So I've never seen these in the store myself. But if you were to experience these, you probably would think of a particular brand and one brand only. So ultimately, ultimately, the point to take away is think about intangibles as, as important and as valuable and maybe more valuable than physical stuff. Real estate, uh, you know, you're, if you're an artist, you know, your brushes, your easels, your, your tangible things, your personal property, those intangibles, like I said, just maybe more, more valuable than any of that, uh, any of that other property. And it's not something that you want to kind of leave the door open on, um, lest you might lose it all. Now, if you can take a screenshot, here's my contact information. If uh, if you email me, don't text me at this number because that's a landline. But if you send me an email, I will send you a PDF. Um, it's just a simple kind of cheat sheet that helps you protect trademarks of yours. Um, it gives you five five uh, five tips, just five tips on how to protect your trademarks without having to spend any money registering them. Very simple, uh, very, anybody can follow them uh, and it's, it's useful. So send me an email. If you just put, send me the guide, anything like that, I'll know what it is and I'll be happy to send it to you. Um, with that, if we have a minute, what I want to do is I want to talk about design patent really quick, just because I didn't cover it earlier, because this may apply to you as well. A little bit extra. Design patents, similar to copyright, protects what we call ornamental features. This is really for goods. So if you design goods, uh, design patents might offer you some added protection that you want to think about. What that means is it's not a patent that protects a functional item. You know, it's not your classic mousetrap. And I have a, a patent over a mousetrap but an ornamental feature that's non-functional. So on the left, you'll see uh, Oakley sunglasses, particular ornamental feature. It's not, you know, it's not necessary that sunglasses or eyewear period look like that. It's purely ornamental. On the right, Decker's, brand that produces Uggs for Ugg boots. 
The upper you see there is purely ornamental, non-functional. That button, non-functional, ornamental feature, protectable. No one else can do it. And the middle, I think some of you might have figured this out by now. It's a little bizarre. This is a barbecue or a grill purely in the design of a pig or in the shape or appearance of a pig. Purely ornamental. It doesn't need to be that way. It's not functional. If it were functional somehow, it wouldn't qualify for design patent. But uh, pure, since it's purely ornamental, uh, you know, this, the owner of this patent has a, basically a monopoly on that exact design for several years. So there is yet even another uh, avenue for protection for artists and business owners. Okay, so that is it. Um, and then if I can, let's see, I think I'm going to do some Q&A, I believe. Uh, yes, we do. Okay. So I have a couple of questions. Okay, so when you have an idea and you mm -hmm. have, uh, I don't know, somebody else yet. So when you're collaborating with several other people in an idea, how do you protect that idea? Because it is a mutual idea, right? You, somebody, everybody has a piece of the, of the puzzle. Possibly, yes. So that I, that's that's where you get into you know classic contract law or agreements. You want to make sure uh, that everybody kind of knows what their contribution is. Now there are some default rules about some of this. For example, if multiple people collaborate on a writing, um, that often happens. You know, you may be collaborating on a book. You may have multiple people participating. Uh, it may be a complicated question. Sometimes, if someone is just uh, performing rote work or transcribing that sort of thing, that's probably not really a material contribution that would make them an author, uh, you know, as the law would recognize it. But in but it's uncertain. So it's something that has to be kind of discussed. And it's smart to discuss it up front with other people collaborating in terms of deciding or agreeing on what someone's ownership rights might be, or just maybe other some other sort of participation as in, hey, you know, party B, uh, you know, I'm going to be these, you know, I'm going to be the inventor or the author or what have you having sole rights to this collaboration or this, or rather this invention or this work of authorship, but you're going to have, you know, maybe some revenue rights or something like that. Or it may be, you know, we're all joint authors and we're all going to agree on, you know, what kind of, what we're able to receive, how we're able to exploit, whatever the work is. Um, but the point is it should be something that you don't want to try to figure this out after the fact, because everyone's going to see it differently. People might see it differently at the beginning, but at least you can try to lay things out before you get down that road. Um, as you can imagine, I don't think I need to tell you that's trying to figure it out afterwards is you're probably going to have a one in hundred shot of actually having that go smooth. Yeah, that's true. You know, uh, clarifying all the little points always makes sense beforehand. Yeah. And people are more agreeable at that point because they don't, you know, you don't know what's coming down the pike. You don't know what you're going to produce. You, you just, your expectations change. You know, once you kind of get into it, once you accomplish it or finish it, certainly everyone's going to think that they, you know, that they were uh, the big contributor and they should get more. It's best to just lay that out beforehand. And that becomes, like I said, a function largely of agreement of contract law. So when is agreement, when getting an agreement is too late? Can you get it at any point on the conversation, even after the brothers finalize? Uh, it's what's well, possible, but like I mentioned a moment ago, it becomes more challenging, right? Because one, people have 
at the, at the outset, it's kind of perspective, right? People don't exactly know what they're going to be doing. They don't know the scope of what their contribution is going to be. And they're probably more pliable, <laughs> probably more agreeable. Uh, you know, after the fact, it's just, you know, people have visions, backward looking visions about what they did, how much they did, and they probably come a little more entrenched in what their expectations are. It's not that it can't be done, but preferably, you know, as early as possible or as early in the game as possible, uh, you want to get those deal points down, committed and agreed upon. And that, I mean, that goes for any situation, not just this situation, but any sort of joint endeavor, any sort of collaboration, whatever label you want to throw on it. Earlier is better. And I know a lot of people skip this in all facets of business. You know, typically, you know, it's not here in the intellectual property realm. It's usually when more than one person decides to do business together. Um, a lot of people say that's the budget item. I'm just going to, we'll just kick that can down the road because we're all friends here. Let's just get this business off the ground. And I'm not sure if I've ever seen a situation where that didn't blow up somehow even in some relatively minor way, but usually something that's more middling to full on nuclear war uh, between people that were once great friends or even family members. So the best thing you can do to set expectations, to guide behavior is to try to get it done. Just suck it up, sit the other person down or persons and get it done as early as possible. And you talk about photography, right? Uh, okay. So when you try to protect photography do you protect every single one independently or can you do the bulk there, there are situations where you can do group uh group what we call registrations now to be clear when you actually snap a photograph it's protected by copyright immediately copyright protection attaches to it as soon as you create anything the moment it's finished and not in your head you know I, you don't have copyright over what your vision or what your thought might be about some end product but once your expression is fixed is what we call it in some kind of tangible medium in this case photography as soon as you take the photo digitally even doesn't have to be printed out but as soon as it's committed or it's digitally captured copyright attaches but uh it's smart to in certain circumstances it's start, smart to register it as well especially if it's core to your business but there are situations um i wouldn't be able to rattle them off right now but you can uh, there are groups of photo photographs that have some kind of relationship to each other, you can register them as a group as opposed to paying a registration fee for every single one, which is, you know, unless you're doing very few, that's going to add up quick uh, when, you know, when you're talking about 65 bucks, um, you know, per per work. So, so luckily for photographers, yes, you can you can register groups of photos. So you register a group of photos uh, because I me mean, as a photo when I take photography, I take like a hundred at one time. It is that quick. Um, yes. <laughs> so if I take a, a hundred photographer and maybe fifty of them are great and I want to protect those. Uh, if I want to use only one of them later on in something else, mm -hmm. it still carry the protection, even if it was a group photo. Yeah, I, 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 you, you cut out a little bit near because I, I, I missed you for a few moments, but um, but I think I, ca I think I captured the gist here. Yeah, registration of you know one or a group of photos, just you know that's uh, that's kind of an administrative thing in terms of you know determining whether a work itself is registered or not. If you were to have, if I if I'm understanding you correctly, if one were to be used or one were to be used without permission, infringed upon. That would be you don't have to have the entire group infringed to have some kind of claim against somebody else if that's what you're asking 
okay. one if one gets nabbed uh yeah that's that's an that's that's an infringement you don't have to say oh you don't have to throw up your hands and say well they only infringe one of a hundred so i don't have a claim i can't do it unless they infringe them all it's not how that would work and i have one more question yeah <laughs> how colors can be protected it's like that's a funny it's thing hard <laughs> colors is not colors, colors in terms of trademark protection colors are difficult multiple colors are easier than one as you can imagine i mean it's hard to protect a single color so you think of like pink for fiberglass right owens corning fiberglass you know they've they've been pumping that for years the pink panther and all that um the thing is think about it when you see pink insulation do you think of any other brand other than owens corning no it's very they have done that very well or for parcel services when you see a particular shade of brown i don't know what it is you think ups you know it's ups so it's not easy though a lot of folks do try to protect colors and it doesn't work because they can't really show you know businesses will use color all the time but are you using are you using it in such a way that the consumer associates the color and as kind of a source identifier like a name or a logo that's kind of hard to do but you know you can think of some that where you recognize that you know you think of ups you think of owens corning fiberglass you think of uh tiffany's box you know tiffany's blue box right i mean there's some that do it really well single colors are tough multiple colors a little bit easier targets red and white uh is one you know the green and yellow i did for john deere earlier but but color trademarks they're more challenging because you really have to put a lot in you know into really establishing that in the consumer's mind really pushing those colors so they recognize it as a trademark I mean, try aromas, scents, that's that's an even harder one <laughs> to, to actually protect. And there are very few scent trademarks, you know, Play-Doh is one, you know, where you recognize that scent and you know, oh, it's moldable clay and it's Play-Doh's moldable clay and not some generic brand. So, I mean, there's one and there are a few others. I know there's like a grape scented motor oil, you know, which I've never seen. And I, there's a couple others, but I mean, aroma or scent is very rare. Um, and the sounds too. No, I mean jingles, right? I mean nationwide is on your side. Homer Simpson's dough. I mean this, jing or uh, NBC chimes. I mean sounds are a good one as well. They're they're not as common as of course names, logos, slogans. Those are the most. Those are conventional, common, but colors, single colors, multiple colors, aromas, motions. Even uh, motions kind of a weird one, but you might even. You know, just think outside the box think what if i mean what if okay i got a little bit of color in this jacket but let's say every time i did one of these presentations i wore some super loud you know crazy you know i don't know as glitter all over a jacket or whatever and that was my kind of my identifier that i did all the time maybe andy would have a trademark for his jacket wearing his particular jacket for speaking engagements I mean, it's possible if it's distinctive enough uh, it's possible. I mean, a couple of years ago, Gene Simmons, you know, of Kiss, tried to trademark a gesture. Okay, it wasn't this; it was this with the thumb out. Right? He tried to say, you know what? That distinct that that identifies me and me alone when it comes to autograph signings, entertainment performances, that sort of thing. That's me. Now that didn't go very far. He abandoned the application after just a short period of time because I think most people said, no, I wouldn't think of just one person when I see that. Uh, but he gave it a go. I mean, but it's conceptually possible. So, you know, so I will, my, my instruction, I guess, or my advice to anybody is think about the things that really identify you. It might be something else. 
I mentioned motion a moment ago because some of you probably said, what does he mean? Um, the Peabody Hotels. The Peabody Hotels, which I don't think they have out here in California, but uh, they have other places. So if you see commercials for the Peabody Hotels, or at least in the past, they'd have, I think the commercials always had ducks walking in and walking out of a lobby. I don't think it was always the same exact clip, um, but that motion is a protected trademark. <laughs> the motion of ducks walking in and out of a lobby for hotel services. <laughs> so, um, so bizarre things. There was, there was a, there's a trademark over uh, searchlights that go in a certain pattern in the sky, a motion trademark of all things. Now, I don't know if I was driving down the freeway and I saw that, I would say, oh, that's that brand of, you know, I don't know the name of it, but it's a brand of searchlights. I would probably never think that personally, but, um, but it's possible. So you really want to think about the things, you know, what really identifies me now in the past, in the future, you know, constantly come back to it. Think about it, you know, every six months or so, you know, what, hey, what are the things that identify me? How do people recognize me? Is that something I need to protect or should I think about protecting? And have one more question. Mm -hmm. uh, so something that's been in the news lately. Oh boy. <laughs> okay. Uh, Disney famous Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Is ready to fall out of trademark protection. No, not trademark protection, copyright protection. Copyright protection. Yes, yes. So um, uh, some copy, some works from Disney are already out. So um, yeah, so this is the thing. A lot of people, you know, the, the headlines always come up as, you know, Mickey's not going to be protected anymore. And it's not exactly true. A lot of the older works. Um, and they've already fallen out of copyright. A lot of the old, old works, the old cartoons are don't have copyright protection anymore. So anybody can duplicate those. They can adapt them. Um, there's just no more copyright protection. However, you got to be careful. And you'll see this. If you see some of these videos on YouTube or whatever service, you'll probably note that they're very bare bones. And that's all they do is they just, re they just allow those videos to be played. The thing is, the reason is Mickey Mouse itself is a trademark still. So if you use Mickey Mouse or other characters or other features of Disney in such a way that suggests an association or an affiliation or a sponsorship from Disney, then you're violating the trademark of Mickey. Okay. So there's kind of the rights cross over. So no copyright protection for the older works. Not the newer ones are still protected by copyright. But trademark protection still extends over the Mickey characters, et cetera. So yeah, if someone were to, to put out these videos, but then slap on images of Mickey and Disney, you're probably going to be violating or encroaching on the trademark rights of Mickey, if that makes sense. Bad news. Can I use Mickey Mouse? <laughs> <laughs> Got to be very, very careful. I'm not giving any advice in this in this arena. But, uh, but be very, very careful about how someone's doing it. You gotta make sure it's not it's out of copyright protection and you're not doing anything else that would suggest source, sponsorship, affiliation, anything like that. Yes, awesome. Well, this has been very valuable information that I think a lot of people will benefit from. Um, how they can they get in touch with you? And you had a, a mm -hmm. price that you wanted to offer, right? Uh, well, as I've got my my download, which I think has some value to it. But um, but are you are you talking about the are you talking about the, the game? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, look, we all grew up looking. We we understand trademarks from a very early age, right? <laughs> Watching TV, we we you know we see Kellogg's commercials, whatever. 
all of us are familiar with trademarks, even though we don't use those names necessarily. We probably say logos, brands, that sort of thing. So a game that I like to play, it's a board game. It's called the Logo Game. Okay. And it's a card game and it's got all kinds of questions. It's got imagery on it. It's got other kind of fun trivia. It's a trivia game essentially, but it's visually driven. Not all of it. Some are some pretty wacky questions about brands. Like how would I know when Hormel was formed or something? I have no idea, but, but nonetheless, they have to fill up the cards with something. So I'm, I'm going to give away some of those games. So uh, it's a fun game and it's a game you can play with most ages, you know, I mean, you can play with, you know, adults and kids can play because they're, you know, we're all, we're, we all experience trademarks, logos, things like that all the time. So yes, I want to give away uh, a couple of those. Okay. Do you have it with you? Oh no, I don't have it with me, but I've got them. <laughs> do you have the Do you have the image still? I get. Do you have the image of it? Yes, I do. I'm going to post it on the comments. Okay. Um, I had to look for it, but um, but yes. So who's going to be the lucky winner? What do you want them to do to in order to get this? Oh, price? okay. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Um, What's the challenge? Okay. The, okay, I got one. All right. Let me share my screen again, super quick. Wait, my, let's see. Okay, there, okay. Let's see, let me, how do I choose? I gotta, I gotta choose, I gotta figure out how to choose. Mm. Let me, okay, there we go, let me, here we go. Okay, sorry about that, here we go. Okay, so I want somebody I put my email up a moment ago. I hope everybody captured it. Here are four crown-focused trademarks. So if somebody wants to take a picture of it, snap it, whatever. I don't see frame. it. I don't see it. You don't see it? Oh, shoot. I'm sorry. I guess I got to do that. Now? Can we see it now? No. Uh, let me no? see. Let me add it. Let me add it. Hold on. Okay. Now we got it? Yes. Okay. So Somebody, the first, I guess the, the first two people who can tell me what trademarks they're looking at, what brands are we seeing here? The first two people who do it are going to get the games. So Everyone knows you, these. Everyone's seen these in the past. You, you know, you may not, it may be a little challenge to recognize them when they're not attached to other branding around them or the products, but you, everyone has seen these. So someone can email me the, email, email me the answers. And if you don't get all four of them, you know, whatever, we'll take, I'll take the first two who guess the most. So they have to guess. Um, <laughs> they have to guess. Well, it wouldn't be a challenge why. if nobody guessed. Yeah. They have to know what those four crowns, uh, which brand they represent. I've done, hey, I tell you what, I have done this in the past and my winner has had one before. <laughs> so I've had, I've had people not get beyond one. I think, I, I don't know if I've ever had anybody get all four. Um, I've had, I know I've had two. I think I may have had someone get three before. So look, don't, don't despair. If you get one, you might just be the winner. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Can I unshare that, that now? Everyone has it? All right. Let me, okay. Okay. Make sure you hashtag Traymore challenge. Um, my challenge at and tag 40 law and amor umbrella hey thank you okay that was amazing thank you so much for all the information thanks Nick. i appreciate it a bunch have a good time you too <laughs> bye
Bye-bye.